Hello, my friends. Thank you again for turning on here to the Hilltop Spiritual Center. If you're watching this on Sunday or any day after that, this Sunday, October 4th, is the Feast of St. Francis, one of my favorite of the, of the great mystics and saints of the Western tradition. And you may be asking yourself, you know, why is that important to us? Why, you know, what, what, what are we going to be talking about there with this? So let me say it this way, you know, in this tradition, Francis is known as the patron saint of animals and of the environment. And Kurt, you know, doing that beautiful blessing and showing his, uh, his wonderful companions, Sundance and Dakota. And then you'll see some, some photos of, of some of my friends as well. You know, Francis was known for that. He was a really interesting character. You know, he was a 12th century mystic and was, you know, he grew up in a child of uh, privilege. He was part of the aristocracy. Uh, he was a gallant young man and went to war where he was captured and spent over a year in the dungeons of Perugia. Uh, and he came back changed, uh, disenchanted, lost, uh, estranged from everything. And uh, he turned to spirit, he turned to prayer, and he began having these mystical experiences and these visions. But what's beautiful about Francis is he truly saw the divine in all creation and he you know he wrote this amazing and beautiful poem called canticle of the sun where he talks about brother sun and sister moon and the rivers and the trees and the animals and there's just this loveliness about that and so we also are invited to bless our animals and what i mean by a blessing is this a blessing is seeing the presence of god and so when we bless our animals, what we are doing is we are evoking within our own consciousness the vision of seeing the divine expressed in all of its creation and particularly those companions on this great spiritual path, our dogs, cats, horses, fish, really even our plants, snakes, I suppose, all living things. You know, Kurt gave a reading today from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, and there's sort of a running joke. Teilhard was a, a Jesuit, but the running joke is this. Had, had Teilhard joined the order of the Franciscans, he would not have been in set into exile. His works would have been published. He would have been able to teach them, and it would have just been so much. You know, and obviously the, the Jesuits exiled him to China, and none of his works were published until after his death. But there's this beautiful reading that Kurt uh, chose for today where, he, where Tehard says this, By means of all created things, without exception, the divine assails us, penetrates us, and molds us. We imagined it as distance, this divine, and inaccessible, when in fact we live steeped in its burning lairs. Everywhere, we are literally drunk in the spirit of God, which is everywhere and in all things. And wherever we turn, this divine is there. And it leads us to this sense of awakening like Francis did. And what I mean by an awakening is a change in how we see things. Karen Armstrong, the author, says this. Is she says that all great awakenings or the greatest awakenings arise from catastrophe. 
awakenings arise from catastrophe. And if we think historically about how that's true, even in the Western tradition, probably the one that I'm more familiar with, you know, the great global awakenings that happened, the, the Copernican revolution, where we, where we began to see that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. Uh, the, uh, the, the awakening of the, the Florentine Renaissance, of the enlightenment, of the scientific age, of abolition, of self-governance, all these things that sort of shape collectively our worldview, how we see things and where things are. But you know what I would offer is this, is that we've, we've all had personal awakenings, have we not? And so think about that, you know, how your view of yourself and your view of the world changed. And perhaps it changed because of some catastrophic thing or who knows what. You know, certainly I think when we look at where we are in the world today, uh, there is this awakening. And I think part of the awakening that we're beginning to see and integrate is this. Is, you know, we say we're all in this together, but I think it's even more important or more salient than just simply, you know, we're all just trying to get along. It's that every living thing on this planet is intricately connected to everything else and nothing is separate from anything. And, um, you know, one of the things about an awakening is it really begins to change our beliefs. And how I would define a belief in this conversation is this, a thought plus an emotion equals a belief, a thought integrated by an emotion, which means it's anchored in our body as memory, becomes a belief. It becomes sort of an operating thing. It's a, it's a visceral experience for us. And often we don't question our beliefs. We just simply operate with them uh, without, without questioning them, without, without reevaluating their, their uh, relevancy to the situations that we're in. And so, you know, we, we hold ourselves or we run ourselves by our beliefs. As we've said before, you know, believing is seeing. We, we see what we perceive to be true. And, um, you know, maybe there's a there's something that's wanting to, to come forward with this. You know, Wendell Berry, uh, who is this uh, remarkable philosopher, says this. He says that in, in order for us to change, in order for an awakening to happen, we need to go back. We need to reassess our self-image and our self-perception about power. And, and look at things from a different place. And that different place is that sense of, of, of unity. Um, you know, I think that part of this awakening that we're moving to is, is going to be this, that we begin to understand that um, connection is the engine of creation. You know, this is something that the mystics have intuited since time immemorial. And it's what quantum physics at the very essence of what it is. So science and spirituality are converging on this idea that connection 
is the engine of creation. And, and what I mean by that is this, is, you know, since the very Big Bang itself, what happened is there was this great cosmic soup of particles and the particles and the subatomic particles began to connect and form relationships. All matter really is based on agreement. It's relationship of particles that create things called atoms, that create things called molecules that later on become cells and on and on and on. And so the very volition of the universe itself is one about connection. You know, Rob Bell uh, recently wrote a book called Everything is Spiritual. It's a, it's a lovely book. But one of the things that he says in that is this, is he says that, um, he says the universe only knows one direction. And that direction is forward. And spirit only knows one way of creation. And that is newness. So if if, uh, if connection is the engine of creation, the universe itself is moving in this, this direction of forward. It's evolving. It's not going backwards. It's going forwards. And creation always has this sense of, of novelty in it. So what can stand in the way of that? Resistance. You know, this, this urge to return to normal, to stop things, to, to try to narcotize ourselves from the, the, the uncomfortableness, inconvenience of the disorder or the catastrophe that begins to happen. And, and to not allow what's wanting to be new novel to emerge from that. And so we as individuals, we collectively resist. You know, I think that this is the issue of loneliness. My teacher used to say that, you know, a person can be alone anywhere, but it takes a crowd to be lonely because loneliness is about separation. And separation is the antithesis of creation. And so resistance creates loneliness, which aborts or blocks newness and forward moving. And so um, we have this, I think, incredible opportunity now in awakening of seeing the world. Of, of seeing ourself uh, differently. And you know, what I, what I would want you to think about right now is this, is imagine if you would, that we as a species have moved forward, have created something new. What would that look like for us as a, as a global community? As, as us seeing ourselves not separate from creation, but part of creation. As we see ourselves not a superior species, but as a steward, as, as one who supports and gives life. And then imagine for yourself an awakening. An awakening in which you see yourself and you see the world differently.
how would that look? How would that feel? Would it have a sound, a taste, a color? Because it would be visceral. It would be a belief. In fact, I'm going to encourage to let that thought marinate and go deep within you of allowing for yourself a new awakening, a new vision of yourself and a new vision of the world. And you know, this is the very basis of uh, quantum physics and it's the work of this guy Neville that I talk about, which is when we create what Ernest Holmes, the founder of our denomination talked about, a, a mental equivalent or a spiritual prototype, that thought coupled by an emotion becomes a belief, then what we begin to do from a quantum point of view is we begin to collapse all infinite possibilities into a specific, new, forward, creative, novel experience. And, and that's the beauty of, uh, of what we teach. It's the greatest opportunity that you and I have in this moment you know, where we are right now, we should not waste on complaining. We should strive. We should certainly work towards justice, equanimity, all those things. But we should look at this time in our own personal lives, the life of our country and the life of the planet itself as a turning point, as, a, as an awakening. And you know, I think animals can do that for us. Now, I'm not one to say that, you know, animals are our greatest teachers, except if we're teachable, we can learn a lot from animals. Because, you know, animals have this sense where they are totally immersed in the subjective, in that creative medium, in the present. There's not a sense of ego per se or self-identity. They're in the moment. When I watch my, uh, our dog, Nikolai, you know, he lives in a happy universe because he lives in the moment that he's in. You know, infants do the same thing. Up to about 18 months old, a, an infant doesn't see a separation between themselves subjectively and their environment that they're living in. And so, you know, we have this great intellect we have an ego and an ego is not a bad thing. It's a way that we assess our own specificity within the universe. But we also at this creative, energetic level have this visceral experience of being one with all things. And again, you know what the mystics say is nature is the first book of revelation. If we could look at nature, nature is always participating within itself. It's always bringing itself into balance. It's not wanting to powerfully separate itself or resist itself. It's open to the forward novel experience of evolution. And so we can, we can pay attention to those kinds of things and and change, as Barry says, our very perspective by going back to the very beginning of who we are. And not to say that we stay there, but that we integrate it into who we, who we become and who we are becoming. 
and not try to believe that it isn't there. You know, I think one of the um, one of the costs of Western Enlightenment is the separation from our bodies. You know, we we seem to exist from the neck up. And we create spiritualities that are about mind and intellect. But really, the great mystical traditions and Francis himself and the Franciscan order is really about the sacredness of the body and to celebrate the body and to celebrate creation and to celebrate all aspects of life. That is a great awakening. And so what I want to offer is this, is a practice, a practice of where we can begin to use this in a very specific way. And again, you know, what Neville talks about is, is how we integrate a thought with an emotion that it becomes a belief, a belief holds a memory in our body. And in that, it begins to move us subjectively, like our four-legged uh, and winged critter friends and our plants. It begins to move us in this way that we don't have to think and ponder. And because it's connected to that one subjective presence or mind, that all creation begins to participate in the belief that we hold. And so it begins by this. It begins by kind of stopping the chatter. The mind is always going off on one thought or another and assessing at this and assessing the other thing. But really kind of getting in touch with our, our inner guide and whatever that looks like. You know, Neville talks about this when he talks about all sacred scripture. And what I would offer too is, is all sacred scripture and, and good literature. So we don't necessarily look at these things as historical events. Now they are, we don't discount that, but we read them metaphysically, which means we read them as sort of psychological, spiritual uh, experiences of ourself, almost like a Jungian dream where everything in the story is an aspect of ourself. Let me give you a couple examples, if I may. Probably three of my favorite deities are Krishna, Ganesh, and Jesus, particularly Jesus portrayed as the good shepherd. So Krishna, Krishna is that aspect of myself or yourself that takes delight in the pleasures of the world. You know, Krishna is all about dancing with the gopis and, and playfulness and tricksterness, right? And, and we all have that kind of playful dancing kind of quality about us. And it's about finding courage by being who we have been called to be, becoming our original self. And Ganesha, and I love Ganesha because I'm a big guy, you know, Ganesha is that elephant. It's that, it's that kapha energy that sort of meanders and moves and has that sense of deep inner power. And Ganesha is that aspect of ourself that removes all obstacles, right? When we have that strong sense of will, when we have that deep sense of purpose, when we can feel it in our bones, oh my goodness gracious, nothing can stop us. And you know, Jesus as the good shepherd, I love this image. And, and what Neville would offer is this, is, is that the good shepherd is our awakened self. It's the 
Christ consciousness, the logos that exists within all of us, that high self that is connected to the divine. And, and who are the sheep? The sheep are our awareness. And so the high self directs and guides our awareness. And if we allow ourselves to be guided by this good shepherd, this inner guide, or Ganesh, or Krishna, or whatever, whatever aspect from whatever we read, that it guides us, then, then it guides what we become aware of, perhaps, what a thought, we become aware of our highest good. So let me offer a tool of how we can get in touch with this. And it starts by quieting the mind. You know, the, the Zen Buddhists teach that the mind is like a pond, you know, and all of our thoughts are like fish. They come up, they come down, they move around. And in meditation, we don't necessarily, we pay attention, we know that the, the thoughts the fish rise, the, we just don't pursue them, right? We don't say, oh, it's an orange, it's white, it's big, it's small, it's doing this, it's doing that. We just simply observe. And sometimes we need a, a trigger or a touchstone. And the touchstone is our highest self. And what is the highest self? What is that divine self within us all? I am. I am. Anything that follows I am is an affirmation. And so we just sit and notice what happens. And without pursuing it, just to return back to center, try this, just for a moment. Say quietly to yourself, I am. And when a thought arises, just come back gently, I am. I am. It's going to take practice. Tom and Thomas Keating, who is one of the founders of this, of this way of con contemplation or contemplative prayer, as they call it, he tells the story of he was doing a training and a, and a woman came up to him and they did a 10-minute practice. And she came up to him and she said, you know, in these 10 minutes, my mind went 10,000 places. And he smiled and he said, well, you know, that's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. And so we practice, I am, letting go of the thought. And when we can quiet ourselves, we can then begin to create that mental image, that spiritual prototype of what not only our good looks like, but what our good feels like what it tastes like. We allow ourselves not to observe it, but to emotionally move into that state. We allow our awareness, that sheep, to connect to its shepherd, the high awareness, and we become emotionally that experience. And we do it often. And then we allow that to guide us to the very experience of our good. And what I'm gonna offer is that is how we participate in the awakening of the world, this unity, this experience that everything is unique and wonderful within itself, 
but part of something greater. But I think there's even more at stake. You know, something else that William Berry says is this, is he says, every species is a voice of the divine. And when a species is extinguished, then that voice of God is extinguished. And so our good and our investment in not extinguishing the divine voice as it's being spoken in all creation is the invitation of what we get to do. And so as Kurt began this service, let us just take this moment to recall within our own mind and in our own feeling the love that we feel in the special aspects of nature that feed us. Our friends, our family, our animals, our garden. You know, where we see beauty in nature is God speaking to us. And as we see God in all creation, we acknowledge that everywhere we look, we see a center of divine consciousness revealing, speaking, healing, and uniting. And so my friends, let that be our practice. Let that be our work. Let us be like Francis and experience that deep sense of communion and connection in all creation, moving forward and making all things new. So thank you again for being part of our celebration. Uh, I want to thank you all for the support that you continue to give as we grow and we expand. Last week, we introduced Lee Culture as our new uh, music director, and you're going to be hearing and seeing him a lot in this virtual thing. But if you live within the San Diego area, please also check out our website as an opportunity to come to our live service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Because of CDC restrictions, and we are being squeaky clean in this, you have to make reservations. Of course, masks are required, and we do social distancing, but we've set up tents. It's lovely if you've seen the photographs, and it's so good to come together in community. So whether you are visiting us on Sunday or in the virtual world, thank you again and again for your continual and generous support. And to you and those whom you love, whether they have wings or four legs or two legs or how many or whatever, those whom you love and those whom you receive love from, I wish you many, many blessings.